and amen. I want to mention a couple things before we get into the Word today. There's a lot of discussion out there right now, and I'm sure some of you have seen things posted about when and how and whether, whether we're going to be able to reopen the church so that we can begin to gather together again here in the sanctuary. Uh, this has been wonderful that we can bring this over online to you live, and, and, and really we're touching many more lives by doing this, and not just our church, but every other church that's online, than would, ever be here, when would normally be here on a Sunday morning. But there's still something missing when we can't physically gather together. And so that's obviously the goal. So I met together online with a number of pastors that are Massachusetts pastors and, and some of the legal counsel. We're working forward to it. I know the governor in Rhode Island has begun to make some plans. Um, Massachusetts is running a little bit behind because it's been a more severe case here in Massachusetts. But just continue to pray for wisdom. I want to let you know that we're working towards that, but we don't want to just open the doors. We want to do this within the law of what we're allowed to do, but also in the ultimate goal is to provide a p- safe place for you to be able to come and to worship. So we're working to create some systems and some ways to make sure the place is super clean, but also that so when we come together, we're coming together in a safe way. So pray for us, for wisdom, not just for us, but for those pastors that are also having to make those difficult decisions. And so uh, also I want to remind you, I've been encouraging you on my uh, morning uh, face or daily FaceTime, uh, FaceTime fireside chat, uh, to begin to gather together as family, learn how to pray together and have a devotion time together as a family. It doesn't have to be a 45-minute hour time. It can be. But if it's just 10, 15 minutes, the, con- the key is developing something that's consistent. So in order to do that, we want to help you. So we're working on creating a blog that I will help produce every week to begin to give you some insight, some counsel, just some simple suggestions. Because it's a very simple thing to do and the Holy Spirit will guide you. And also through this blog, to give you a chance that have signed into it to be able to communicate with one another your successes, maybe your challenges, some different things you've been able to do so that we can come together and learn to do this together as a church. This is an amazing opportunity. So many of you are home that would not normally be home during the week. And this is such an essential thing to develop as a family and especially to instill in our children prayer. And, and we model that as parents to our children. So don't waste this opportunity. Let God help you form this opportunity. And finally, we have, uh, we, as we've been doing every week, and let you know that we have been, we're part of an organization, a movement really that's thousands of churches, tens of thousands of churches around the world uh, called Unite 714. It's based on Second Chronicles 714 where God spoke to Paul and said, uh, spoke to Paul, spoke to uh, John, John, your man works today, uh, spoke to Solomon who had dedicated the temple and said, if you come into this place seeking my face for need, then I will meet you here and I will hear your land. And so this is based on Second Chronicles 7.14. That's where this name comes from. And so what we're given is a prayer every week. This is the eighth week. And we're going to ask you to come together and join me. You can get this downloaded through their website, Unite 714, or you can go to our website and it's posted there under Unite 714. And I would ask you to pray this during the week. They're asking us to pray it twice a week, twice a day, excuse me, uh, 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 at night. And the idea is to have more and more concerted prayer and agreement. So as I go through this prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you do not, if you have it in front of you, that you can, um, that you can uh, join me together praying for it online, but that you can also uh, just pray the prayer of agreement. 
And I'm trying to find it here because what I printed out wasn't the whole thing. Let's see if I've got it here. Nope. The, the scriptures it's based on is First Peter 2, 5. You yourself, uh, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 5. Hebrews 12, verses... 12 through 13. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight your paths for your feet, so that what is lame may be put out of joint, not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And then Hebrews 13, 5. Through him, uh, through him then, lest us con- let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, that acknowledge His name. Hebrews 13, Five. We're going to read down this, and I just realized I don't think I have the whole thing here, so we'll do the best we can. Father, living God, we humbly come before you with confidence knowing that you are a merciful, loving Father who hears our prayers from heaven. We unite before you as the church, a spiritual house of living stones, a holy priesthood. In the midst of this pandemic, we bring you our sacrifice of praise. We thank you for the mitigating the effects of COVID-19. We realize that without your divine intervention and protection, the devastation wrought by this disease will be far greater. But we thankful you today that what is impossible with man is possible with you. In the face of pressure, panic, pain, we choose to look beyond the circumstances and lift our hands to you. Comfort us in our weaknesses. Lift us up into your presence as we worship your holy name. And later today, we choose to praise you. Your church unites to lift up praises, you sacrifices of praises. You, you are, we are confident uh, our world will experience a fresh outpouring of your divine presence and love. And this will result in the conversion of untold millions. You and you alone are worthy of our honor and our worship. We choose to worship you later today, and we praise your name. Father, we just continue to pray today as your word instructs us for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives. Father, we pray for our president. It doesn't matter whether we like him, don't like him, agree with him, don't agree with him. You've said in your word we are to pray for him because he serves in an office that you have called and ordained, and he needs your wisdom, your guidance, your discernment to lead this nation for the sake of your will and for the sake of your people. And so, Father, we pray for him that you would protect him, keep him, strengthen him, especially protect him as he deals with things that have spiritual forces behind them. And we ask you that you surround him with men and women that can, will give him godly wisdom. We pray for our governors, for Governor Raimondo of Rhode Island, Father. We pray that you would protect her, give her wisdom and strength, as we've said over and over again, Father. Neither she nor Governor Baker ever bargained to deal with something like this. But Father, you are gracious and kind to provide all the wisdom that they need. We need them to have your wisdom to lead us and to guide us. So we pray for your protection of her and her family. We pray that you would continue to give her strength and wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. We thank you, Father. We know that you have provided godly counsel for her. And we pray for those that are in her life that provide that godly counsel for her, that you would continue to give them your spiritual wisdom and guidance. We pray for Governor Baker, Father. We ask you to keep him well and safe in his family and to strengthen him through this time that he would have the strength to lead in in the right manner with the right decisions at the right time. We ask you to surround him with godly counsel that would help to give him the directions that he needs. And we pray for our pastors this morning and as all throughout the week, Father, in this area 
that you would continue to give them guidance and wisdom and strength to know the right, make the right decisions, especially as they deal with the questions of when and how to open up their congregations, their buildings, to receive people together in fellowship together. We pray for those, Lord, that have been stricken with this, this, this virus. We pray for a speedy and complete recovery of their bodies and of their souls. We pray for those that are on the front line together, Father, now that are dealing with this in hospitals and in nursing homes, that you would protect them, Father, give them supernatural protection. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. Father, we pray for those that have, that are, have lost loved ones, that you would comfort them and give them the strength and perspective to go on knowing that, Father, their life is in your hands and there still continues to be a purpose for their lives. And for these things, we give you thanks. We pray now, Father, as we turn to your word. I know with all my heart that there is something that you desire to say to us today. I also know that there is an, there is an enemy out there that has already tried to stop me from doing this. And so I come here by faith today, Father, that you will speak through me and through your Spirit what you want to say to each one of us today. For I believe this is a word in due season that you have to speak to us. So may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what it is that you want to say to each one of us today and together as a congregation. And for these things we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I hear you saying amen, even though it's by faith. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, again, this is uh, Mother's Day. We, again, uh, want to honor our mothers. Normally, what we would do is have you stand, and we would uh, acknowledge you today, and we would have a little gift for you. But we're going to have to trust your family to have done the little gift part, as we were not able to provide that for you since we are not able to meet. So we're grateful for all our mothers. I am very thankful. I still have a mother who is alive. She is 96 years old. She is in a nursing home today, and, and, and we are thankful that no one in that nursing home at this point, and will, uh, has been affected by this disease. So she is healthy, and she is well, and I am very thankful for my mother, because a lot of what has been built into me, I owe to her. Um, she is a strong lady, and she has built certain character things into me, and I am very grateful for those today. So, Mom, I can't see, talk to you today. I can't see you, and most of the time you don't even understand me. But I just want to thank you today for all that you built into me today. I love you, and I know you love me. Praise the Lord, and God loves us. Uh, we've been studying who is this God that we serve, and we've looked at different aspects of this God. Uh, we've looked, first of all, at how God, as this Bible is God revealing Himself to us. There's no way we could understand and re realize who this God is. There's no way, even if we could, we could grasp Him with our mind. Your mind was not intended to ever understand God, but your spirit has been given to you, a reborn spirit, and it has the capacity to know God. Not in all of His fullness, He's too big, but but God reveals different facets of His nature and of His character. And He's chosen the primary way to do that is through His Word. So we've looked at different things in His Word. We've seen that He is the self-existent one. We've seen that He is, he is Lord. We've seen that He is our God. He, he provides what we need. We've seen over the last two times we've talked We've seen He's the Almighty God. And then last time, how to receive the benefit of this, His Almightiness into our lives. Well, today we're going to look at another facet of who this God is that you might not normally think of. It's, I've, never, I've not heard it 
talked about very much, but it's very clearly in the Word. And it's very, very important to us today because I really believe with all my heart that we are living in a time ordained by God, that you and I and this church and the other churches are not here by accident at this time. At the very beginning of this crisis, I felt God share to me, say with to me, say to me, don't focus on what's going on around you, but look at what I want to do in the midst of this. And as I've continued to try to set that as a focus for our staff and set that as a focus for, for this church, I want to remind us of that because this is an opportunity God's put you and me here for. And if we'll keep our eyes on that, what I've found in my life, and you will find as you do that, is the strength and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will rise up in us and help us move forth to carry out God's intention, God's purpose, and God's will in this time. And this message is critical for understanding that. For everything else we've talked about, we've talked about God up there, God in this Bible, God living in you, God who's out there. We've talked about who this God is, and we're going to talk about that today. But we're going to now talk about where this God that's almighty, where this God that is the Lord, where this God that is the Most High, where this God that is your God to provide for you and protect you, where this God who is the self-existent one, where He contacts and begins to connect with you and me to carry out His will. I want to read through some scriptures. I'm just going to go through them very quickly. Uh, I don't know if they're going to put them up there or not, but in each one I want to highlight a particular aspect of this verse. Mark 16, verse uh, 19 through 20. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples. He's been raised from the dead. He's about to physically ascend into heaven. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, that's the disciples, went out and they preached everywhere. Listen to this. The Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying of His signs. Amen. So the Lord has finished His function, His part of God's plan, when He was ascended into heaven. He lived for 33 and a half years. Three and a half years, He was minister- He established His ministry on the earth. And then He's physically raised into heaven. And then what begins is He continues to minister His plan on the earth, but it's no longer through His personal body. It's now through the body of Christ, and it starts through these 12 disciples. And so what the Holy Spirit is telling us there is as they went forth to do the work, He went forth to work with them, through them, confirming the Word by accompanying signs. The next verse is John 15. Verse 4 through 5. This is part of Jesus' last instructions to His disciples. Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit. For without Me or apart from Me you can do Nothing. This whole image Jesus is teaching them is we are one together. I am the vine, you're the branch. I have a function as the vine, you have a function as the branch. And we cannot do this without doing it together. There are certain things you cannot do without me. You cannot produce the fruit at the other end of the branch unless you're connected to me. But I, the vine, cannot produce the fruit unless you're vitally connected to me. 
And the third verse I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talking to the church at Corinth here, teaching them how God works together with us. Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then he who plants, neither he who plants is anything, or he who waters is anything. He's talking about our own individual roles in carrying out God's plan. So Paul is saying, I had a role to play in establishing this church. Apollos, who was a gifted teacher, he came in after me. He had a role to play in planting this church. But God gives the increase. Now listen to this. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We're working together as one. Are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers or joint workers, and you are God's field and God's building. The title of today's message is God, we're looking at who this God is. He's Almighty, He's Jehovah, but He is also our co-laborer. Now think about this. This is God Almighty. We've talked about Him. God Almighty, who knows everything, can do everything. He doesn't learn things. He just knows everything all at once. This is Almighty God. He can do anything and everything. He never gets tired. He never gets old. And this God, who can do everything and anything, for whom nothing is impossible, has chosen to humble Himself and work His plan out through you, through me, and through His church. That's amazing and awesome. So one of the things we see about who this God is, how humble He is. Remember Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, He said, Come to me all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. That doesn't mean He's weak. He was very humble. And so He said, Learn this from me. So let's talk a little bit about this humility, what this Almighty God has chosen to do as our partner. I want to look at first, just we're going to go through three scriptures kind of quickly here, and then we're going to look at an example that was given to us to show us what our role is and understand we can either succeed in our role or we can fail in our role. And how much is at stake at that? So first Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. You see your calling, brethren, he's talking to us that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. So God doesn't choose people on the basis of how strong they are or how wise they are or how noble they are. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. God has chosen the base things of the world and the things that are despised. God has chosen these things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That are that no flesh should glory in His presence. So God, to do His work, has not chosen us based on how smart we are, how strong we are, or how noble we are. God has chosen us based on what He can do through us. Now there are many of us out there that know we're not strong, we're not wise, and we're not noble. So our struggle is, how could God ever use me? And the others are, think they are noble, think they are wise, and think they are strong. And they say, God doesn't really need me because I can do this and I'll get His help when I need Him. And God wants to know you've purpose, God has purposely chosen 
people that can't do what He's chosen them to do unless they depend upon Him. Why? So He gets the glory. I remember when it became clear to me that God had put me here after serving as 10 years as the associate pastor. God had suddenly, unexpectedly put me into this role. And I can still remember walking up and down here in prayer a number of times saying, God, do you know what you've done? (laughs) You know who I am? I know the basic things that a good pastor needs and I don't see those things in my life. And I felt God say to me, I've chosen you to do this because you don't have certain qualities because you know you're going to need to rely on me to do those things. And it's no different with you and it's no different with this church. So the point here is, let's go to um, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. And this is, Paul's talking here about a situation where Paul was finally, he got so frustrated. See, Paul, we think Paul was this great tower of strength and Paul could walk through all these challenges and all these difficulties because he was so strong. But if you really read his writings when he gets honest and real about what he went through, Paul was not strong in himself. He learned to develop his strength in his God. Here it got to the point where Paul shares a testimony of how the persecution that came wasn't sickness and disease, it was persecution and he was getting weary of it. And he says, three times I cried out to the Lord to take it away from me. He tells us what it was. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Three times I cried out to the Lord to take it away from me. And God's answer was, I think that's the verse we got here. Yes, verse 9. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. That word means complete or full in weakness. God wasn't saying, no, I'm not going to take this away from you. God was saying, I want you to learn that you've been able to do what you've been able to do, not because you're strong, but because I'm using your weakness to show forth my strength. Therefore, I'd rather have you boast in my, I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in needs and persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Then I want to read to you in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter four. Paul's talking about uh, in verse seven. Where are, is it here? But we have, he's just talked about the glory of God, the glory of God that's living in us. But then he says, "But we have this treasure in earthen vessels." That means. We're weak. We're like, somebody described it this way. We're like old clay pots, a clay pot that has imperfections in it. And so the image is here, if you take the, a, a beautiful uh, a light, a beautiful candle is what they would have used in those days, or some glorious strong light bulb for us, and you put it inside a, a, a clay pot that's old and that has imperfections and cracks in it, that light's going to shine out, not through the clay pot, but through the cracks and the weaknesses. And that's the image that's given here. So God's chosen earthen vessels. He's chosen you because you're not so strong. He's chosen you and me because He wants to work through us, and in many ways, through our weaknesses, because it's through our weaknesses that the light and the glory of who is inside of us can truly shine forth. So, but the, what we're going to look at today is that we have a part to play in this. We have a part to play in this.
And here's what I want to show you today. Just as we use the example of the vine and the branch, Jesus said to the branch, apart from me, you can't produce any fruit. But the other side of that is without the branch, the trunk can't produce any fruit either because the trunk needs the branch as much as the branch needs the trunk. And the goal, the purpose of both of them is to produce much fruit. And Jesus goes on to say in those verses after that, and by that fruit my Father is glorified. So what we're going to see today is in this co-laboring together as partners together with God, that God, we can't do our part without Him. But the other side of this is God can't do His part, His will, apart from us. So here's the message of today. You and I and the church today are absolutely vital for God being able to do what He wants to do today. Because you see, we think, well, He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do. He can, but He's chosen to do it through the weakness and frailty of, of imperfect people like you and me. So that raises the stakes in what we do, and that's really what I think God wants to kind of alert us to today. How critical our faithfulness to Him is because there are many things, there are many lives at stake in God's plan to save people and to redeem many more people than He already has. And it depends on whether or not you and I are willing to do what He's put us here to do. And God gave us a wonderful example and it's the example of Egypt. We've talked about Egypt, at the, excuse me, not Egypt, Israel. We've talked about Israel at this stage. It's where they, God has, they've been in, in Egypt in bondage for 430 years. They cry out to God to be delivered, and God has supernaturally delivered them. And we've talked about that before. And now they find themselves, God has, God has given them instructions, and we're going to look at that. God has a purpose and a destiny for them. When He brings them out of their bondage, out of Egypt, He didn't just bring them out to set them free. He brought them out because there was a place He wanted to take them and there was a purpose for having them live there. And the place God had for them is called the promised land because it's a land that God has promised to them for His purposes and for their purposes. So we've seen how God brought them out And now God takes them through a period of time and the period of time was intended to be about a year in this wilderness that stands between Egypt where they came out of and this destiny, this promised land where He wants to take them. They have to go through this transitionary period and place called the wilderness. And the wilderness is a desert. There's no water there. There's no food there. It's a hot, burning sun in the daytime, and it's cold and frigid at nighttime. And it's all rocks, so it's very hard to walk on this. It's very hard to live in this land. And God has chosen to bring him through this land. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that tells us God could have taken them through this in just a couple of weeks, but he knew them. He says, I know if I take them by that way, they're going to see enemies and threats to them that if they see them, they're going to run back to Egypt. So God had to take them by a different route so that He could prepare them so that they would enter in to the land that He promised. Now that tells us something about us today. First of all, it tells us God knows how to get us to where He wants to get us. And He knows you and me well enough to know the best route to get us there. 
There may be a much shorter, much easier route to get you to your destiny, but God knows that if He had to take you there, you would have turned back because you weren't ready to face the obstacles that were in your way. So God has to take you by a route, and what we're going to look at is God uses this time of taking them through this route to train them and to equip them so that when they enter into the destiny and the land He's promised to them, they will be able to overtake the enemy and the obstacles are there. Oh yeah, there are enemies there and there are obstacles in this land, this a promised land. Now the promised land, all of this represents something for us. Egypt represents the bondage of sin and of the world that you and I were called out of when we came to Christ. We were called out of the bondage of this world and of sin and of Satan, and we were called into the kingdom of His beloved Son. But we have an ultimate destiny for us. And many people a long time ago used to teach that Egypt was the world, the wilderness is life here, and the promised land is heaven. But the promised land can't be heaven because in the promised land Egypt went, or Israel went into, there were giants in there. There were obstacles in there. There were enemies in there. And my Bible doesn't tell me that there are enemies or any obstacles in heaven. No. The promised land refers to the destiny and the calling of the church. The destiny and calling of your life as a member of His body and our purpose of why we were set here to be a witness for him. And now we're going to look at that story of how they came out of Egypt. First of all, this is a land that way back over 400 years ago, we looked a few weeks ago at the covenant God entered into Abraham. And there was a, with Abraham, there was a verse in there where God said, I'm making a covenant to you and for your descendants after you. And he told them before they got there, they were going to go into bondage to another country for 400 years, but he was going to bring them out and he was going to bring them into a land and he would drive out the inhabitants before them. So at the very beginning of God's promise to them, he told them that there were going to be enemies in their way when they got there, but he would drive them out. Now what we're going to see is this is not just important to Israel, but it was important to God for His purposes. God wasn't just giving them this land so that they would be able to enjoy their life. God's not just given us this salvation here, and God's not just blessed you and taken care of you so you can enjoy your life. He wants you to do that, but God has a purpose for your life here. I've often said, if God just wanted you for Himself and had no sp purpose for you here, as moment you got saved, He would pull you out of here and take you to heaven. Because the only place you can get into trouble after you've been saved is by being here. But God has a purpose for your life here that's beyond just your life alone. And that will begin to give meaning to your life and give strength to your life. So, when He delivered them out of Egypt, they'd been there six, over 600 years and God's land, goal and plan for them was the same 600 years after He made that promise. God never changes His mind. The land that He promised them was inhabited by nations of large people called Anakim. They were like giants. And God had told Abraham that these nations were there. In Exodus 23, God makes, this, uh, makes this, them aware of this. Verse 27. Exodus 23, verse 27. And I will, um, no, let's see, 
And I will send my fear before you, and I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. He's telling them there's enemies. And I will send hornets before you, and they shall drive out. And here he names them. This is while they're still in Egypt. In, in, uh, excuse me, still in, in the wilderness. I'll drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite before you. And I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the fields become too numerous for you. But little by little I will drive them out before you until you, you have increased and inherit the land. And I will set your boundaries from the sea to the great sea. Uh, and, uh, and Philistia, and the, the desert to the rivers, and I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. So God's telling them, here they are, they're going to be there, and I will drive them out before you. So they have God's word of what's coming, they have God's word of what He's going to do, and how He's going to give them victory over it. And he's telling them that they're going to have to trust him. Now, what happens here is God now begins a process of training them to prepare for when they go into the promised land to face the enemy. And you and I, right now, and we already have been, are at a time of training for what God's purpose is for your life. And the whole purpose of today's message is to awaken us up so that we're not, we're sure that we don't fail to learn the lessons of our training. So over in Exodus chapter 16, God begins to speak to them, and then I'll tell you what this, mean, what, what this means. Exodus 15, 16. So the children of Israel... They journeyed from the congregation uh, of Elam. They went to the congregation of the children of Israel and they came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed out of the land of Egypt. So uh, two months and 15 days after they're out of Egypt, God begins to do something with them. Then the whole of the congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we died by the hand of the Lord at the land of Egypt when we sat at the pots of meat and we ate the bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So here they've only been out there, what, eight, ten weeks, and the food supplies run out. And they look around to where they are and they don't see a Walmart, they don't see a stop and shop, they don't see that they have access to get toilet paper or, or, or any of the essentials of life. Suddenly what they used to, the means of having them supplied, look like it's cut off. And all they're doing now is remembering the food that they had in Egypt. They're remembering the physical needs that were being taken care of in Egypt. And because that's where they keep their focus, they're missing the God that's brought... God just supernaturally brought them out by ten supernatural, obviously glorious miracles, and He sustained them for ten weeks. And they've never learned to trust in Him at this point. So they now complain to God. And the Lord said, this is verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. 
And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they shall prepare, they will bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather. So here's what this is all about. God's saying every morning you're going to get up, there's going to be food out there for you. And we're going to see in a moment, you can only gather enough for that day. And so, but on the sixth day you're to gather two days worth. Why? Because part of what the law God was giving them is on the seventh day they could do no work, including going out to gather food. So they could not gather a day, they could not go out and gather their bread on the seventh day because it was the Sabbath day for rest. So God told them on the sixth day to get two days worth. Now the other thing God's teaching them here is that, and we're going to see that later on, is that they were to, their, their, their sustenance, their bread was coming to them by trusting God's word every day. God is training them to trust Him every day for their daily bread. And then he goes on to say that if you try to gather two days worth, the second day's worth will rot in your teeth and it will get mold and mildew and you won't be able to eat it. Why? Because God didn't provide that for you. But on the sixth day, you can gather two months. So God's training them to trust Him for every day's food. Because you see, if God just did it every day for seven days, they could just assume it just automatically shows up. No, they had to believe God every day. That's what He wanted them to learn. But we're going to see that generation never learned the lesson. So let's go on. So Moses said in verse uh, 6, to all the children of Israel at evening, you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for He hears your complaints against the Lord. And what are we that we complain, you complain against us? So he goes on down and says, uh, verse thir- 11, we'll go down to verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. So he's going to give them bread in the morning and meat at night. You shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. We learned about those two phrases earlier. So it was... And when the quails came up in the evening, it covered the camp, and the morning dew lay all over the ground. And when the layer of dew was lifted, the surface of the wilderness, it was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And it goes on to say, And they called it manna. So not only that, not only is God bringing it to them, it's free! They don't have to get out their credit cards and do online you know, uh, drive-in purchasing. It's brought to them and it's free. And God is training them to learn to develop their faith, to trust Him in the little issues of life every day. Every day. Now in Exodus 17, we're not going to turn there, they ran out of water. So they go to Moses and Moses speaks to God and God tells him to take his rod and to strike a rock. And when he struck a rock, water flowed out of a rock. So now he's not only providing them with the food morning and night, he's providing them with rock, water out of a rock. Now there's great symbolism in that because Christ, the rock represents Christ and the water represents living water. I know that. But it was literal water to sustain their life and it came out of a little, little, literal rock. 
Water doesn't come out of rocks. It comes out of the ground. And God can do what is impossible. He was training them. This is what I want you to see today. He was training them every day by the very basic essentials of life to learn to trust Him for the basic essentials of life so that when the real test came, they would be prepared for that test. Okay. Now let's go to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to see now we've moved ahead nine and a half months. They've gone through a trek in the wilderness and they've now come up to the edge of the land that God has promised them. And we're going to start in Numbers 13, verse 26. What's happened is they've sent 12 spies into the land, two from each of the, uh, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They've sent them in to the promised land to check it out, to find out what's there and to bring back some evidence of it. And so this, this is what they did. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the children all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and of Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So what they're doing is God's told them, I've given you this land. God's told them there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be nations in there, but I will go with you. I will co-labor with you to drive them out. I'm not going to drive them out. I can't drive them out without you, and you can't drive them out without me. So you're going to go in there. And now what they've done is to check out whether God's told them the truth. They've sent 12 spies in there and they're bringing about physical, tangible evidence that can, they can see and they can taste to prove that the land has in it what God already told them it has in it. Verse 27. And they told them, and they say, We went into the land which you sent us, and it truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So it does have what God's told us the truth about this land. Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Notice that word, nevertheless. What they're saying is, God of all heaven, God who delivered us out of Egypt supernaturally, God who's been providing water for us and food for us every day for the last nine and a half months. This God has everything He says is exactly true. But, or nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. Notice we saw their five senses. One of their five senses is telling them what the truth is about what they can do. God's already told them, I'm giving it to you. God's already told them, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to drive them out. So they got God's word on the one hand and they got what their eyes are seeing on the other hand. And he goes on, the Amalek goes on to continue this bad report. The Amalekites dwell in the land to the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountain. God told them they were there. This isn't a shock, shouldn't be a shock to them. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along by the banks of Jordan. And Caleb, who was one of the spies, quieted the people before Moses and said, But let us go up at once and let us take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. Notice the two different reports. 
Ten of the spies are saying, we can't do what God said to do because there are giants in there. We can't do what God's told us to do. We're not going to make it today because look at the number of people that died of COVID-19 yesterday. Look at the death toll that's mounting up. Look at the percentage. Look at all the... Look, 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 look at all these things. They tell us we're done. We can't do this. Look at all these things. But what's God said? What have you been developing your faith in? Who have you been developing your faith in? So the spies acknowledged that what God said was there, but what they, their senses overrode God's Word. And they made decisions based on what their senses told them and not on what God said to them. But the men, verse 31, who'd gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Yes, they were stronger than they are. But God had said, I'll go before you and I'll drive them out. What they'd failed to realize is they were co-laborers with God in this venture. They weren't doing this on their own strength. Just as Goliath, uh, David and Goliath we studied several weeks ago. They weren't doing this in their own strength. They were doing this with God. But they never developed the confidence in this God who was their co-laborer. They trusted far more in what their senses told them and in what their mind reasoned. Look at verse 32. And they gave to the children of Israel a bad report. Some translations call it, in God's eyes, an evil report of the land in which they spied out, saying, the land which we've gone into as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw were men of great stature. Yes, they were, but not bigger than God. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants. And they, look at this, they were like, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Notice, just like the Israelite army looking at Goliath and comparing Goliath's size and his might to themselves as if they were in this alone, whereas David looked at Goliath and said, I don't care how big he is, we're in covenant with a God who's infinitely bigger than he is, and he is my partner here on the battlefield. The same thing is what's happening here. When you look at the circumstances of your life, when you look at the threats that come against you, when you look at the obstacles that tell you you can't make it, you're looking at them through your five senses and you're analyzing them through your unrenewed mind that's reasoning about what you can do and it will tell you you can't make it. But what's God said? What's God said to you? Because you're not in this alone. You're in this with Him. And He has a stake in you doing this. We've got to move on quickly here. And they, so what happens down in verse, let's go down to verse uh, chapter 14. Jo- what happens is Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, we are well able to take the land. We're going to look at, um, verse 6 and 7. 14, 16. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights us in this, then we are going, that brings us, then if the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land, and He will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Oh, don't, only don't rebel against the Lord. By the way, if you were to go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, 
40 years later when they get in the land, the people that were living there say, we didn't understand why you didn't come in because we were shut up tight behind our walls because we were scared of you because we heard what your God had done for you. So the enemies of Israel in this land, the ones that they were afraid of were actually more afraid of the Israelites because they had more confidence in what the God of the Israelites would do than God's own people did. Now here's the tragic result. Because they made this choice to not go in, God's purpose for Israel was frustrated for 40 more years. God's plan was to put Israel in that land to be a witness to the rest of the world of how God would take care of them and prosper them and bless them because they were going to be the only nation who had a king who was Jehovah God. And God needed them to go into that land to overcome those enemies in order to be a witness to the rest of the world of who this God is, of how gracious and kind this God is, and how generous He is. God needed them to occupy that land. But they were unable to do that because they were so moved by the threats that their natural senses told them and their minds reasoned that when they were presented with the challenges, they pulled back. Not only did it cost God 40 years of His plan not being accomplished, but it cost their own children 40 years to wait to get into their destiny. So the decisions you and I make about whether we allow God to develop faith in us is not just going to affect us, it's going to affect many people around us, and it's going to affect God's plan in the earth at this time. Now you say, what does this have to do with us today? 1 Corinthians 10, and we don't have time to turn there this morning, says this amazing thing. It says that story is put in the Bible as an example for us today that we would not make the same mistake that they made. Just as God had a purpose for Israel to possess their land, God has a purpose for His church in this land at this particular time, while all of this craziness going on around us. Just as there were enemies and threats telling them they couldn't occupy that land, they couldn't fulfill the destiny that God had for them, so there are enemies, demonic forces out there, telling you and me we can't do what God's put us here to do. And there are obviously physical threats out there right now to tell us we can't do what God's put us here to do. And just as God attempted to train them every day by learning to trust Him for the food in the morning and the night and the water out of a rock so that He trained them. We don't have time to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, but this is 40 years later when they're getting, the next generation is getting ready to enter in and God goes back and tells, explains what He was doing. He said, I was training them and testing them. Every day when I supplied food for them and I supplied water for them and their clothes didn't wear out, I was training them that they could trust me 
to learn this lesson and listen to what this lesson is because Jesus quotes this that man does not live by bread alone but man lives man succeeds man prospers man does everything God intends for us to do not by bread alone not by our natural resources but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God it's trusting God's word for everything we need and that God was using to train them but they failed to learn the lesson so how does that apply to us where are we today well I suggest to you that we are in a very very critical time in the history of the church Matthew 24 Jesus talks about the end days and he says talks about a period of time called the beginning of sorrows it's not the tribulation but it sounds very much like the time that we're in today when there'll be earthquakes and famines and pestilences and lawlessness and this precedes goes before the great tribulation God has positioned us at this time just like he intended to position Israel in their time and we have to be a people now today who've learned to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God rather than by our own senses and our own resources and our own reasoning. God needs us to be a people of faith today, not moved by what's going on around us. We have enemies and obstacles that are intended by Satan to intimidate us and carry us away from God's purpose today. And these enemies are spiritual forces. They're demonic forces that we have to overcome. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13, it's prophesying about Jesus when He comes that, that there would come a, He would be, have to prevail until His enemies were made His footstool. Well, He's seated in heaven. We are here to make His enemies His footstool. So what must we do? What must we do? How do we do this? We've got to recognize... That every, that every challenge every day is an opportunity to apply your faith. Whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever fear it is, begin to use your faith just for food that you're eating. You may have a wonderful job and be able to pay for your food, but when we give thanks for it, we're acknowledging, God, I'm eating this by faith. You provided this for me, not, my, not how smart I am and not the great job I have. You gave that to me. You gave me the ability to do that job. Whatever you need today, begin to exercise your faith. So the first thing we've got to recognize is we have to realize how serious this time that we are in is 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, gird, Peter's talking about the time, the end times. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That refers to when their robes were long and they were going to run. They would reach down and they would pull up the back hem and tuck it in their belt up here so they wouldn't trip over it. So it's preparing yourself, getting rid of the things that you might trip over so you can run a race. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 talks about. So be sober. That means not drink, although we shouldn't, but be alert. Rest your hope fully on the grace that's brought before you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust. In other words, be alert, be wake up, realize what time, the time that we're in. Secondly, recognize what's truly important. Begin to realize what are the things in your life that are eternal, that matter as eternal things, and what are the things that are just really not that important. 
It's amazing. We're at a time of year when the baseball season would normally have started and people would be talking about the Red Sox and, and there are people be talking about the Patriots uh, getting, you know, getting ready and doing the draft and all that stuff. All the sport. There, there's none of that out there now. Oh, there's talk, but there's nothing going on. And you know what? We found out we can live without it. We can live without Tom Brady being the quarterback of the Patriots. We can live without all... Because you know what? As entertaining that was, as much as it might give you pleasure or frustration... It wasn't vital to life. In fact, most of the things that we spend our energy on, our time on, our thinking on, are really temporary things. That's why Paul says, I've learned a secret. I've learned the secret is this. I've learned how I got through the things I've gotten through. I look not at the things that are seen, the physical things, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen that my five senses tell me, those are just temporary things. It's the things that are not seen that are eternal. Let me tell you some of the things that are eternal that are not seen. The souls of men. The souls that at this point are around us and in this community around us and in Providence and around where you live. The souls of men and women that if this timetable is right and I'm not guaranteeing that it is, then they may not have a long time And they're important to God. They're the promised land that God's giving us. It's not a new house. It's not a... He may want to give those things to... But the promised land, the territory God wants the church to take is the communities that are around us. Eternal lives that are either going to spend an eternity in heaven with Him or an eternity in hell separated from Him. And the church is here today to be co-laborers together with God. But we will fail in that endeavor of collaborating with Him if we're so moved by the circumstances around us and we've not developed such a confidence in our co-laborer that we panic and pull away from Him and react to the situations instead of turning to trust in Him. So what can we do? You've got to make God's Word a priority in your life. I mean, it has to be the priority in your life. It's what God's given you to strengthen your faith in Him. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 23. My son, attend to my words. Let them not incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart, for their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. I've been speaking that word for years and wondering why certain things weren't, weren't manifesting in my life. And one day I got frustrated. I said, God, how come this is not working? He says, you know that scripture backwards and forwards. You can quote it. You've preached it many times, but you're not doing it. I said, well, I'm not doing it. He said, it says, attend to my word. You're not attending to my word. You're, you're looking at it, but you're not attending to it that way. You're not inclined. You're not doing what it says. So I began to do that diligently, and I began to see differences in my life. And then verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. You've heard me say this over and over again, but it's the beginning, it's the doorway into walking a life of faith with Him. You've got to keep the Word in your heart. And we leak. You can be filled with it yesterday, and it's leaked out overnight, or during facing some challenge in your life. So become alert, become aware, become serious about this. So we have to meditate on it, We have to speak it. Just meditating doesn't do enough. 
And the third thing is we have to act on it, begin to act on it. Little things in life. Verses like in, in, in uh, Philippians 4, verse 6. This is one of the fir- first things I began to apply in my life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving make your requests known unto God. Little things I began to get anxious about. I began, you know what, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Instead of being anxious, let me do what the Word says. Things I've lost that I was so afraid. Like today, I was running behind and things just weren't working right. And so instead of getting anxious, God, I guess it's time to put into action and believe your word. So I'm not going to get anxious about things. I'm going to trust you with all my heart in the middle of this and see, watch you. And, and all of a sudden, God began to work in my life and do amazing things to get me here on time to get things done. So begin to apply his word in the little things of life because none of those are little each one of those is another step in training you to trust God when the real challenges come this is what Israel didn't do when they got that bread in the morning they weren't thankful they complained they didn't recognize and build their faith God you brought this to me today this is supernatural bread you gave this to me today and they missed the opportunity to develop their faith. So when the real test come, came to co-partner with God, they pulled back from Him and God was not happy with them. He had to wait 40 more years, another generation, to bring in what God wanted to bring in. If we make God wait 40 more years, there's going to be untold souls out there that are going to miss the destiny God has because God has to wait for another people who'll do what we put us here to do. And the last thing, of course, is prayer. I want to end with a verse, we're not going to put it up there, where it says, to, to, it says that we're to work out our salvation. That doesn't mean earn it. It's Philippians 1, 12, and 13, or 13, 14. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you're, we're saved by working it out. It means we're to walk out what God's put in us with fear and trembling. I thought we're not supposed to be afraid of the Lord. It's the fear or reverence of God. Why? Because it's God in you who's at work both to will and to do His good pleasure. I've said this over and over again over this last year. God's at work in you. He's working in you. He wants to work in you to develop your faith. He wants to work in you to prepare you for what you're here to do, what this church is here to do. He wants to work in you to do these things. But we need to work this out with Him with a holy reverence for who this is that wants to work this plan through us. I just trust this is going to challenge you the way it's been challenging me. And I'm far from perfect at this. I had days that I fail and I missed opportunities. God's so gracious and so kind, so patient. But we've got to wake up and realize what's involved in the little decisions we make every day and begin to put everything in perspective. God is your co-laborer when you're a mother raising your children. God is your co-laborer when you're a father as the head of your household. God is your co-laborer in your job, working together to be what He wants you to be in that job. God is your co-laborer in whatever it is He's called you to do. He's your co-laborer, but He's a God of faith. We have to begin to work together with Him in faith because that God will put you in situations that require your faith to operate along with His. I want to end as we do every service and then we're going to share the Lord's table together in just a moment. I want to end today by giving you an opportunity if you're watching this program, if you're watching this service for the first time or, or maybe uh, uh, 
you've been watching it for a long time and you're just tuned in or whatever it is, 